Wayne Barton, author of several books, fiction and non-fiction. The recent one is The Sunshine Kids, written with uh, Raphael and Fabio de Silva. Uh, Their names are bigger, and I love the photos that are used on the front. They're both kind of doing... They've got their elbows in the same position, and it looks brilliant. And you can tell which one Fabio is because he's got both hands by his face, whereas Raphael's only got one. And the forward is by Sir Alex Ferguson. That must have been incredible, given that Fergie um, was in such poor health recently. Oh, yeah, without uh, question, uh, without question, yeah. The, um, the picture is from the FA Cup game against Arsenal. They chose that one specifically. I mean, it says so much about their relationship because um, it was Fabio, one of Fabio's best games for United and he'd been having a lot of struggle with his mental and physical health. So to come through into that game and score a goal, you've got Fabio's happiness that he scored the goal and Raphael's happiness for his brother, which is so them yeah. that there couldn't be any other picture um, on the cover. But yeah, Sir Alex, he was turning down every single request for anything. And I know because he's turned down a couple from me. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've had the fortune of spending time with Sir Alex before for, for my book on Jimmy Murphy. I spent a morning with him, um, which was fascinating. One of the greatest experiences of my life. But because, like you say, of his, of his um, not only the, the things that he'd been through, but the fact that he was making the film yes. that came out recently with Jason, there was basically like a, a, a block off on any requests. But um, I chanced my arm anyway because it was the twins. And basically, I heard nothing back. And one day, Rafa sent me a message. And he said, I've just had the boss on the phone. And he says, are you writing a book with Wayne Barton? (laughs) Oh, no, it's the old Fergie. You can't kill that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Don't just fucking tell him anything. So basically what I'd done is I'd asked to try and surprise the twins because I wanted them, you know, like, oh, can you imagine if, like, you've worked with this guy who you love for years and then he writes the forward to your book, but not like they'd asked for it, that I presented it to him. I wanted, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to feel good, that gratification for, for having done it. So um, I was quite excited about being able to do that. Um, well, and nervous in case they said no, because if he said no, I wasn't going to tell them that I'd even tried. But um, yeah, so he, he jumped a step and he contacted Rafa directly. And he went, um, he basically just said, yeah, I'll do it because it's you. Um, but Rafa had initially got caught out because he thought he was getting the air dryer and he was like, oh, oh, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm not doing anything bad. <laughs> like, um, I think he thought he was getting told off. Um, and then they had to have a, another conversation where he's like, oh, no, yeah. Because then Rafa came to me and said, have you told Sir Alex about this? Like, you know, I actually had to explain what I was doing. Um, and he was like, oh, right, oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah, well, we'll go back. So he obviously went back and told Sir Alex, yeah, um, it's all, that's proper, that's exactly what's happening. And Wins contacted you and we, you know, not on their behest, but... Um, they, they were grateful that I'd done it. Um, so, so then, yeah, he wrote that forward, which is, I mean, the, the opening passage, like, um, he, he refers to them as the two players that gave him the most joy. Um, and what a compliment. Yeah. What a compliment. And I remember reading that, and I got choked up, and I just thought, if that's me getting choked up, just reading the first few lines, they're going to be in bits. 
yeah. and they were they were they sent me messages they were like oh great made us cry in the middle of the gym <laughs> do you know I was like, sorry lads do you know but um, I thought you'd want to hear it uh, but they're very emotional lads and, and because of because of what Fergie said obviously hey, it just sets the, the book off on the right tone because he he, he talks he can feel Fergie smiling while he's writing it buzzing to get that because obviously the fact they did it when he wasn't giving any other requests meant even more. That, that's praise enough. And I was I was similarly amazed when I read that because yes, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, who needs no introduction, but he gives the introduction to this book, The Sunshine Kids, which is out on pitch now. Uh, it's told very cleverly because uh, it opens with the twins talking together, and uh, then uh, they each have their own dedicated chapters. Um, the Manchester United ones are probably the ones that are going to get the most traction and interest. But they've had various lives, varied lives um, through them. They're only 31. I mean, it was quite incredible to note that they played in, or they were around the squad in three European Cup finals in four years. And after the third one, they just turned 21. So what a life. How do you peak so soon and then continue to have a career? Yeah, that's a strange thing. I had those conversations with Fabio, and I think it's actually in the book. Um, but if you turn the career around of Fabio, because obviously Fabio was the one where people say oh, he didn't realise his potential um, because he arrived at United as the most highly, the more highly rated of the two. And then people say, oh, he didn't go on to fulfil his potential. He should have played dozens of times for Brazil and many more times for United. We had that conversation, like, if you flip the career around... You know, if he said, oh, he started where he is now and ended up at United, people would say, what a success that that career has been. But yeah, I mean, they did achieve a lot at a very young age, but that, that was the circumstances. It was the, the squad they were introduced into, um, Fergie's last great squad. What an introduction. And, and they made an impression as well. They made an individual impression. It must have been very difficult. If you imagine the characters that they were around, I mean, Raphael had to oust Gary Neville one of the most outspoken footballers of all time. So I hear. Fabio's, co- Fabio's competition uh, was Patrice Evra. They were big characters everywhere in that dressing room and they made their own impression. You can remember what they were like as players and that's a very hard thing to do um, in a squad of that much talent, which says volumes about how good they were as footballers and what contribution they did have um, to that period of time. I definitely I remember them, remember them very fondly. It was a time where United changed the philosophy somewhat. It was more about winning than it was about entertaining. But those lads, you always, as a United fan, definitely you look back at them and you think, you smile instantly because they played with such joy and they played to entertain. Yeah, they, they did have amazing careers that started better than what they finished. I think that's fair to say. Started with more glorious trophy winning than than they finished. But it's like I said earlier, if you switch the careers around, if you went, you know, if you said that they started where they are now and ended where they started, you would be talking about the careers very differently. You'd be saying, oh my God, what a, what a journey that they've had. They have had that journey. It's just the, the other way around. Size of the fight in the dog. You could never back down at Anfield. There is Glenn Johnson, Lucas Leva, Martin Skirtle, and the number 17, Rodriguez. He's got Ravael uh, taking them all on. Of course, he would know Lucas quite well, uh, fellow Brazilian. Uh, and then directly beneath it is his appearance in the Champions League final um, 
and it's got a former Barcelona player who's now a mercenary content creator for Qatar. And there on the left uh, is Ronaldinho. And indeed, uh, here uh, we've got the reverse image. And that, indeed, that is used on the back. That brilliant pitch. It's on the back of the book. Uh, Raphael, Fabio, going to celebrate with Wes Brown. I'd love to read his book. Um, although the stories would be quite uh, similar. And what I liked about the De Silva twins is that very early on in this book, uh, they say that they're repaying the faith of the fans. And we're talking on the day that after Harry Kane has said, well, on reflection, I'd like to thank the fans for helping convince me to stay at Spurs. What a load of shit. How thick does he think they are? If I was a Spurs fan, I would... I know a lot of Spurs fans, and surprisingly, they're not... um, as in much uproar as you or I about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I look at it and think, oh my God, what have you... Yeah, what do you think? Oh, are they going to stomach what you've just said? Um, but but they have done. And I think it's because he's their best player. And when you are, you can sort of take certain liberty. Yeah. Um, it's fair to say that Rafa and Fabio were never the, the best player at United, but um, it is that connection. And you know, because we've talked about this before, and certainly you will know growing up as a football fan that one of the great qualities Fergie had um, in, in making his team was that blend of getting great players and marrying them with um, great determination. And that's what the twins were. They were effort and determination. They had quality, don't get me I'm not saying that they didn't have quality, but they provided those kind of intangible qualities yeah. that, that really made Ferguson side what it was. And interestingly, those intangibles don't show up on Stats Bomb. And that is why stats <laughs> are great as a crutch, but you're writing as someone, and you've written books about Jimmy Murphy and Mike Duxbury and on and on. These are players with that intangible bond with the club. And I wonder how many of the current United team have that ineffable quality about them. No one gets excited about Fred, do they? <laughs> they do, but not in positive Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a difficult kind of excitement. Yeah, yeah I see. What you mean. I certainly got animated last weekend, I can tell you that. Um, but no, I, I don't want to no, throw specific players under the bus. But yeah, I think you're right in that there was a connection that they had. I mean, this is a... I always flip this argument around, Johnny, so people say a comment like that, and you're absolutely right to say it. But it's like when they say, oh, no one's replaced Fergie since he went. But yeah, but Fergie was the greatest. And if you're going to say that he was that easily replaced, then you're denigrating what made him so special in the first place, in my opinion. So what I'm trying to say with the Twins is that's what made them so special that you don't normally see that kind of commitment and that kind of attachment to the club. That's why they are so highly revered and regarded. That's why they're so special, is that you don't always see it. It's not something that you can take for granted. They had this quality. It was their way of life and their philosophy of life and the way that they felt about playing football that just happened to be perfectly synced with Manchester United's philosophy and way of football at that period of time. And, yeah, it is very difficult to replicate. And there are a couple of players in the modern era, but it's it's a different kind of relationship. Obviously, we've got this massive bond with Marcus Rashford because he's uh, the best person in the country right now. Yes, I think Um, so. So you have that bond... 
and I think Ollie's done a good thing in sort of trying to cultivate that. So I feel a better connection with his squad of players than I would have done. I'm talking about the way that I, I, I see your point and perhaps it is, there is a lot of spin on a lot of this, but the composition of the squad and the feel around it, mainly brought down by the Doom Lord who you mentioned earlier in the summer of 2018 in particular, prior to all his arrival, a lot of those players have moved on. Um, some of them are still there and they mm. still even the ones that are still there, there's a greater sort of liberation around them. I feel more positive about Paul Pogba now than I did three years ago and I think that's a big triumph for the manager and the player himself as well. Um, and a greater connection to this squad in general than I did three years ago. Having said that, Johnny, I, I do think that maybe it's the process of writing this book because I felt such a detachment and the twins made me feel more engaged. Like you said, a lot of my work's historical. So I, to dip my toes into a... Um, and it had been a couple of years since I'd written an autobiography as well. So to work closely with a player or two players for that length of time about modern football gave me this... Re- I was revitalised. Yeah, Yeah, I really started... And maybe it's coincidental that United started playing better football again, but I just felt better about it. Um, And I've said to to the Twins on multiple occasions, actually, and this is no word of a lie, I've said to them, thank you for helping me fall back in love with football Um, because that's the greatest gift that they've given me with this book. Um, Obviously, the, the gift of being able to write it all is one thing, but the unexpected bonus of that what a gift to give someone. Uh, I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I do I, I genuinely, genuinely like this squad. And even the players that a lot of people find dislikable. And you mentioned Fred. Um, but even like, you know, the players like Phil Jones, who's much maligned, Jesse Lingard, who's much maligned by United fans. I find myself with a more sympathetic disposition these days than I might have been um, three years ago. Um, interesting, like, how that changed but yeah it certainly has and um, yeah I can attribute it to many different things but the primary thing is the twins um, their sort of joy for for the game reminding me um, that you know underneath it all I I do love it (laughs) apart from like you said the sort of mercenary aspects of it which I certainly um, share your opinion on uh, the brothers, the twins, couldn't speak or read English. They're John Calvert for help. Do you think they were so expressive on the pitch because physically and in actuality they couldn't express themselves in other ways? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, and they were very confident, lads. On the first day of training, Fabio flicked the ball over Paul Skull's head. I love that which, story. Um, and Rio Ferdinand starts yeah. yelling. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one way to say that you've arrived. Um they were lucky that I guess they had a lot of Portuguese speakers in the dressing room when they arrived, so it wasn't that difficult to communicate. They, they, you know, they'd easily pick up the words, and we all know what the first words anyone picks up in any language are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, so they've done that wherever they've gone. I think Fabio gave his first full interview in French the other day, um, and he's very Fabio's more conscious about it than Rafa. Rafa will go gunko into it. You know, if he, if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. It doesn't matter. Whereas Fabio wants to be diligent. You know, he wants to get it right. Um, so he's very conscious about that. And he gave... So I think Rafa would be more forthcoming in, in expressing his point of view. And I think he, he picked 
up certain things a bit quicker than what Fabio did. Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing, but they, you know, it shouldn't have been really, should it? I mean, you mentioned it, this 70-something Scott from the Govan Shipyards shouldn't have a lot in common with teenage Brazilians, <laughs> but, he, but they got this really good relationship and they were, the, they were a perfect fit for the dynamic of that dressing room as well. And they certainly, um, they, they were both very, very, very popular with Wayne Rooney and Darren Fletcher, local lads really, who, you know, grown up in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it tells you a lot about how quickly they settled in. You know, it wasn't like they were... You heard the stories of Angel Di Maria, I'm sure, that he arrived in, in Manchester and he just sort of, he was isolated by himself and he never grew attached to the city, as, you know, wouldn't expect that he would. He's not a natural fit. But they, they took to life in Manchester and they um, really got on with the locals and um, says a lot about them as people. Uh, what I got from the book, everyone looked out for each other. That squad, Th- Fergie's third great team, um, and that would be a book in itself. I don't know why I'm spitballing ideas for you, but yeah, the three great Ferguson teams because they moved. Because you can you can't imagine Raphael and Fabio, and you've spoken to Paul Parker quite recently in the first great team. You can barely imagine them in the second great team of the '99 uh, finals, uh, the treble winning team, as it's known, um, because they they seemed the right players for that team with Evra, whose memoir is called. Do you know what it is? I love this game. I love He's this game. Um, yes, which is out, which is out in October. So I imagine he'll be giving lots of interviews uh, around this time. There's also a book coming out, anecdotes to do with Ferguson. I think it's called something like Under the Hairdryer. John, I've not seen that one. John um, Richardson. I think it is John Richardson. Yes, uh, I knew you'd know the Man United writer. Comes out in October. Under the Hairdryer: Fergie Untold Tales, and that's smart because, like Brian Clough, um, there's a whole book of just things Ferguson did and the way that he welcomed Fafrea and Fabio reminds me of how Lee Sharp was welcomed. Lee Sharp, young lad from Torquay, didn't come through the class of 92, went straight into the team uh, like Raphael did and had all this yeah. triumph. Um, so I'd, I'd read um, Lee Sharp's book. It was recommended to me to read. Um, and it reminded me, this book of um, Fergie's Fledglings, the brilliant book that I read to research from Kids to Champions. I didn't know about some of these characters. Obviously, I knew about the 90s figures. But the figures of the late 80s, can you compare and contrast uh, Raphael and Fabio with the ones that didn't make it at United? Obviously, injuries played a part for some of these fledglings. It's very, very interesting that you mentioned that. Um, that I don't know so. What I really found interesting, by the way, is that you were dead right. I found myself nodding along with that. The players of Fergie's great teams generally wouldn't have fit in the other ones. Not just Raphael and Fabio, but the more I think about it, they're, they're, a, they're a handful. I mean, Giggs played in all of them, so, so he, he gets a, a pass. But some of them, you think, yeah, they, they couldn't have. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. I think the the late 80s, it's a very different period because um, Fergie was sort of, he was still a fairly young manager, certainly young into the job at United, and learning the, because, you know, every single job has its own sort of code of conduct in a way. You're expected to behave in a certain way. It's just true for any different club around the country, because you always think, oh, you know, like if a, a forest manager becomes successful, you expect them 
you're looking at them to be Brian Clough, you know, like, go on, say something. If you understand what I'm saying, you would almost expect them to be like that if they were a Forest manager. Just so with with United, they were always associated with Busby, and there was a certain conduct, a dignity there that he often yeah. sort of spat in the face of. And certainly in his early days, when he was trying to sort of ascertain the control of the iron fist, made a very difficult environment because Eric Harrison loved it. He loved that kind of that fire and brimstone attitude because that was something that he strongly believed in but for some of those players it was much too difficult um, the likes of Giuliano and Majorana yeah. struggled under that weight of expectation so I guess in answer to your point I think Raphael might have thrived in it but Fabio might not have because Fabio was the kind of guy who would you'd put a heart, an arm round and I don't think that, don't get me wrong, Fergie and Harrison had that, but the general school of hard knocks kind of attitude of, of all of them at the time, um, that those, I mean, the class of 92 were witnessing that, the likes of Majorana and Daniel Graham, they were watching them sort of like, oh my God, they're actually getting put through a lot. We're going to have to be physically robust to, to kind of succeed here. Um, I think that might have been difficult. It might have even been difficult for Raphael as well because I mean the like you said football's changed so much that all the characters are different now um, and you know the late 80s was a, a graveyard for Brazilian footballs in England wasn't it I can't, <laughs> yes I can't it was a, those one. pitches would not suit Brazilian football <laughs> was it, there was a lad at, uh, was it Mirandina Mirandina uh, Newcastle uh, uh, the Newcastle only for a little bit so yeah I don't I don't think that it would have been the ideal um, environment for them to be nurtured. Did you meet um, the De Silva parents? Have you said hello to them? No, um, I haven't. I've talked to, to the wives. Um, what I say most, all of this book is, because it was started in the pandemic. It's all been done with all of us in our various spaces. They spent a little bit of time together. We, we you know, When they were both in France before Rafa moved, they spent some time when lockdown allowed them to, when they were together, we would try and get through as much work as we could together. Yeah. Them, obviously, in France and me here. The number of times, Johnny, that we arranged to do something where I would go to, to France and then the lockdown rules would change. Uh... It was just crazy. Even when Rafa came over here to, to um, play for Basak here in the Champions League, the lockdown rules in Manchester were so stringent that I could have stood out of the outside of the hotel and waved at him. Pressed up against the glass. The yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just crazy. But, you know, um, I've talked to the wives, um, particularly Rafa's wife, because she was so instrumental in, in the book actually happening. And she said a lot of positive things about how they've enjoyed it. Because obviously I'm talking to them is great and they'll, they'll obviously reassure me about the job that I did and, and how they felt doing it. The words of other people, uh, obviously, you know, she can speak for how, how they were and everything like that. And they've all been uh, really supportive of, of it actually happening because they've been of the... I mean, they're footballers, so many footballers who've won trophies, many footballers who don't win trophies will release books. They've been so humble about actually releasing a book that they felt that no one would be interested in their story. And I was like, when I was talking to them, I was, 
was coming now from a bit of a disadvantage because I was, like I said to you earlier, you know, oh, I'd work with every United player if I could, but not every United player is worthy of a full book. And I think that they felt my pleasantries were a bit too too far in that regard. So they had to be a little bit convinced that the story would be interesting. And can I um, can I just say, Patrice Ever is, because uh, the bump that comes with the book says, one of 26 children. That's a book in <laughs> its... Never mind winning all the trophies. That's a book in itself. Uh, speaking of trophies, where do they keep... Where does Raphael, for example, keep his silver medal that he won alongside Lucas Moura, Hulk, Neymar, Thiago Silva, when a Chicharito-inspired Mexico uh, won the gold medal at Wembley? They've got, um, when they were back at home in Brazil over the summer, which, you know, they really reveled in because it was the first chance they'd been there for a couple of years. We had a couple of video conversations and they've got massive, as you would expect, massive rooms with all the shirts and medals. Rafa kept taking the shirts off the wall to show me, you know, if uh, there was one signed by Rio or one signed by Ronaldo, he's like, oh, you'll like this. I'm like, yeah, I will like it. He's <laughs> <laughs> sending me over and I'll like it even more. But, um, yeah, they, they've got, obviously, they've got all that sort of stuff and they, you can tell how proud they are of the sort of players that they played with and against and it's just great to see. Yeah, the, the, the pride bursts on every page. Um, the particular pride, in fact, you say beyond pride. Um, when Rafa, Rafa scored his first goal, which was a meaningless goal, a consolation, you say that both parents were almost petrified with the pride that, oh my God, my son, who has worked so hard to send us to Manchester from uh, just north of, north of Rio, they're from? Yeah. 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 Scored this goal and then played in various finals. Raf- Rafael and Fabio played in the semi-final against Everton in 2009 together. Uh, there was one fun day against Barnsley, um, were you at that game, United Barnsley, the mix-up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> you don't realise what's going on in the crowd. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those. Like, then later on, it's like, oh no, this this actually happened. You know, when you're reading the reports of the game after. Um, but yeah, it's it's mad that um, just mad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so hang on, what was it? Raphael committed the foul. Fabio was awarded the yellow card. Um, VAR would would, uh, step in there. Uh, The book is The Sunshine Kids, the autobiography of Raphael and Fabio da Silva with Wayne Barton, forward by Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, It's out on pitch. Um, To finish with this true genius that you've... uh, You wrote the book, the film was with Callum, uh, BT Sport, uh, produced, directed, I should say, by Tom Boswell. So you've got a Boswell um, to your Johnson... These documentaries, are you more proud of them or of the books that inspire them? Too Good to Go Down was also made into a, a TV movie. Uh, Tom's great, by the way. He's the best in the business. Tom directed Too Good to Go Down, and obviously we've, we've become good friends since that. And we, I'll get him Too on. Good to Go Down. You've had him on, I'm I'll, sure. I'll, I, want, I want to get him on. I need you to put him on. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. He's, he's brilliant. He's a bit shy, but um, he's so interesting, the people he's worked with. But, yeah, he's so... When we did Too Good To Go Down, he was sort of like, um, there was a lot of coverage about George Best and he'd said to me, oh, I'd love to do something on George one day. And he was sort of like there, the conversation was there for a a long time and then he realised that I was writing the book on George and sort of asked me about it. You know, his thing is like, can we tell a story that's not been told before? And I was like, well, that's the complication that I had when writing this in the first place. What do you do? on George Best has never been done 
and my sort of simplicity um, with it was to say, well, we'll just go and tell the story about the football because it, something that's just purely about the football has never been done. And yeah, so Tottenham was like, yeah, all right, I'm all in. But we had to obviously tell it a different way on screen because it wasn't all about football and the visual aspects of George Best, as everyone knows, um, it's half football and half the champagne tower. And it became a rule in like the very first thing when we started talking about making the film is no champagne tower in this film. And he set the tone. You know, this is all we'll do is talk about football. And so we had to sort of re sort of realign it. So the film is about um, him winning the Ballon d'Or, his journey to winning the Ballon d'Or in 1968. So um, by doing that, he crystallised a story that's just about football. It comes just before his um, his illness, and it's just purely celebratory, which the book is meant to be. Um, you asked me which I. I enjoy more. I, I'm lucky to enjoy both. That's what I would say. Writing is my dream. Being able to write and sort of produce a film on the greatest ever player that the club of certainly United have ever had and maybe the game's ever had. It's beyond a dream, Johnny, because it's not something that I can, you know, it's, I can plan to write a book and you say, oh, I can do that myself and just sort of like work along it. You can't, for a film to happen, a lot of different people have to be interested and a lot of different things have to happen. And so it's like an opportunity. Um, both of the films that have come out that I've worked on, I've enjoyed every single moment um, and specifically with the George one because I, I knew that I enjoyed the first one so much. The George one, it was like, I don't know when this opportunity will come around again. So I'm going to enjoy everything that I do with this and make sure that I'm present for every single moment and there are different little aspects to it like obviously once the film was announced Callum got involved with it was fully on board appreciative of what the feedback of the book had been and appreciative of what I tried to do with the book that I was just trying to tell a different story about his dad they're almost like different projects in 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 my mind, like this true genius to film and true genius to book. And I enjoyed them both the same for different reasons. If that, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's like one book to the next. Um, I think that's the best way that I can explain it, but don't get me wrong. I mean, if I could do films to every book, I don't think it'd be practical because some of the stories just don't translate that well. But, I would if I could because I love the experience of doing it and United are really um, we're, we're fortunate as United fans that a lot of the stories have a lot of drama in them you know what I mean there's a bit of a crash and then there's a, a bit of a, a, a sort of glamorous end to it if you you know if you yeah. can manipulate the timeline to that so United are lucky in that respect that so they've got a lot of drama um, and I love you know being able to do work on stuff like that I mean I'm always talking to different people you know, that I talk to the club often about doing different things. Um, they're a little bit more open than what they used to be, you know, in terms of, like, you know, the, the company line, everything's always going to be positive all the time, which is any club media would be like that. I think United are a bit more open in recent years because they saw with Too Good To Go Down that you can celebrate... Um, Failure. Uh, a bad, um, yeah, no, failure for want of a better word. You can celebrate relegation. You can look at a period of time that looks pretty bad on paper, but bring it to life in a way that will make people connect. And a lot of people did connect because it was, you know, you can't choose the time. You 
basically get your club forced on you. So if you you were born in a in an era where you saw Manchester United get relegated and they were your team at the time, it's still romantic because that's your journey and your story. Yeah. And I think that the club have sort of engaged with that a little bit more over recent years. And I think it's something that every club should do, um, Johnny. Like every club has this opportunity. Every club has got. 100 years of history, well, most of them. I know City and Paris have only got 10 years of history, but every other club has got hundreds of years. Like this. They've got their own stories in their own rights so that every club has this kind of fascination to its own fans, at least its own fans, whether or not it translates to a sort of a commercial base where the general public like it is a different thing. But to be consumed by its own fans, I don't understand why every club doesn't do this. You know what I mean? Like, so work harder on creating a visual representation of their own their own history because um, there aren't say there aren't that many of us the generations that attach us to the older years aren't going to be there forever I just think it's a responsibility and I know I'm getting a bit deep and definitely moving away from the De Silva Twins and mostly away from United okay. but I think as, yeah. a, as a football writer and someone who has been lucky enough to work in the, the media of, of making films like this, I think that the clubs have got this kind of technology at their fingertips. I don't understand why they're not all doing it. You know what I mean? I know you're a big Watford fan. You've got the contacts. You could go to Watford and just say, Let, let's start making, let's start producing this kind of content about our club. Well, I was going to say, Wayne, second division, you were lucky. Watford were 92nd out of 92 when Graham Taylor stepped in. <laughs> What a great film that's going to be. Watford, the bottom of the bottom, and then rocketed up, thanks to Luther and Johnny Barnes and Nigel Callaghan and the rest of them. And because Watford are a marketable commodity, or Premier League club, in other words. That would be a very sensible thing to do. And Watford, I must say, over the last two years, Watford's YouTube content has been tremendous. A lot of it is targeted abroad, but the history is there. There's a Watford FC former players association that's great. But yeah, I'm just uh, just to say, true genius. This uh, George Best documentary is available on BT Sport, and you can see three minutes thirty nine seconds on the BT Sport YouTube channel, uh, which was put up on what would have been George's seventy fifth birthday in May. Yeah, um, it, it was um, kismet that all those pieces fell together. Um, the book obviously came around at the same time. United were doing well in the Europa League so the book uh, the film actually came out after the Europa League and the Europa League final was on the, um, the same day same, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, on yeah. Sam Busby's birthday as well. Um, so I, I had this like crazy thing where I, I, obviously the film was scheduled to come on earlier, so we lost a bit of an audience because of the fact that it went all the way to penalties and the United lost, and it was a bit of a miserable game. But a lot of people stuck with it as well. And the honour of having, you know, making a film about the club's best ever player, and it came out on the night of the European final on Sir Matt Busby's birthday. It was just like okay. The stars will never align like that for me again. Um, what an incredible opportunity that was and what an honour. Um, it was just a crazy couple of months, really, and I'm glad that you reminded me about it because it, <laughs> and I can pinch myself again that it actually happened. Indeed, uh, as I'm sure uh, David De Gea does not want to be reminded of that date, but then he's, <laughs> he's fine. He's fine. Um, the, the Holy Trinity, George Best no longer with us, Bobby Charlton, dementia, Dennis Law, dementia... Uh, just a very quick word on Dennis Law, the guy who um, proved that United were not too good to go down. Yeah, um, so obviously I worked with Dennis on that film and 
Natalie never talked about that goal before, and he did for that film. So I was very. Cause that's you know when you do that for someone like he did, cause he was doing a big favor to me basically for for that because he's basically giving me the trust, uh, giving me and and Tom Boswell the trust that you know we'll we'll put it across in the right way. He's very 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 nice man. First and foremost, very engaging company, very lovely, very friendly. Especially when in that kind of situation where I, I was working with him, he, he had every reason to sort of be standoffish if he wanted to be, but he wasn't. He was absolutely brilliant, very nice. And for, for Manchester United, an absolute legend. I, I wrote a tweet after the news and I described him as having the extravagance of Rooney, the goal scoring nous of Van Nistelrooy, and the confidence of Eric Cantona. And then he was probably a little bit better than that. He was unbelievable as a player. Oh, and the frame put all that in the frame of Chicharito because he was such a he's such a little guy. I mean, you wouldn't think that someone that small really could score two hundred and thirty-seven goals for Manchester United of all shapes and sizes. And yeah, what a player! One of the the catalyst for the post Munich revival. Um, but more importantly than that, um, a, a very, very nice man. And it's just the dementia sort of wave that has taken over football over the last few years as these players from that generation have got older is, is so heartbreaking that I can't put it into words. Um, it's so... The, the worst thing is is that you know that there's more that's going to come. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That That's the... the worst thing is that you know it's not going to stop um, because it's going to take a generation to fix and I don't know, I just don't it's just no words I, my, my, my I would say condolences it is condolences really it's, I just feel so so sad for, for the families who have to put up with this um, I know, uh, you know, a few John Fitzpatrick was another guy from that side who suffered and I was lucky enough to talk to him last year um, for the book that I did on, on George Best he talked to me and he was you know he had dementia he'd be, he was been suffering for some time with it and I got him on a, a good day you know I told, he was completely lucid and he talked gave me some incredible stories about about George Actually, you know, I wrote a few words because I was so taken about when he passed away that I wrote a short thing and posted it on my website and his family asked if they could use that for his funeral. Um, and, obviously, you know, obviously I said yes, but I'm like, you know, this is one of the biggest honours that you could ever give me that you've asked me to for that. You don't have to ask. It's the, you know, it's the greatest privilege that you can have is that you want to sort of share that at such a... Occasion, but it's just so many of them, Johnny. So many, and every every club, it's such a uniting thing, isn't it? Every club is going to see legends of that they grew up watching suffering with this kind of thing. And I know that things have been done. I know that you only wanted a quick word, but it's just so so profoundly sad that I, I really I'm lost for words because I don't. It's one of those things, you know, you don't have an answer for it. And you, you want so to express how sad you, you are. You just need it's fair just like compensation. Uh, what Dawn Astle's been through, and Mike Calvin has chronicled it in his books, no one yeah. should go through it. And to bring it no. back to the twins, 
remunerated appropriately. They've got the aftercare, the during care, the physios, the club doctor, everything to maximise, unfortunately, the brand Man United. Not even Manchester United Football Club, by the way, because that was taken away from the badge. Shame on Ed Woodward um, for the crisp sponsors. Um, but we have to finish on and up because we can't have Dennis Law yeah, and dementia yeah. to finish. So, what's your next book? So, the one that I'm working on at the moment, I, I've, I have one that's in the can, I have a couple that's in the can, but one I'll, I'll talk to you about, and, and another one that I'm working on at the moment. So, after I've had the joy of talking to you today, I will be working with the legendary Samuel McElroy, who, you know, played for United in the 70s. I know very little uh, about him, but if I ask my uncle Jeffrey, who's been a season ticket holder at Old Trafford for years, he will be in raptures about McElroy. Yeah, yeah, universally loved. He's one of the nicest guys. From my very first book on, on Brian Green, working with Brian Greenoff, he did one, he contributed a piece for that. And I'd said to him at the time, you'll have to do your book. And it's took me sort of seven years to get him locked down, but he's doing it. And uh, it's such a fascinating story. That's called The Last Busby Babe. Oh, and it's going to be out next yes. year. Um, and the one that I have finished that's in the can that I'm just waiting to hopefully will find a home um, is a biography of Duncan Edwards, which um, I know that one's been done. I talked, him, to, this... I talked to James about it, and it, what a story. Yeah. I, I'll never get bored of that story. Yeah. Um, oh, I was lucky that the the family wanted to tell a story. They wanted a new book to be written. Um, so, you know, to be excited, I've worked with the Murphy family on the on the biography for Jimmy. I think that's why the stars line for that one and they wanted you know a family authorized book to be out there and um, so there's so much more information about duncan's playing days there's a couple of um stories from munich that have never been told that are just um the tearjerkers like instant tearjerkers mm-hmm. yeah because you know he... because busby and charlton were in the snow and survived and duncan didn't yeah yeah, yeah it, it's heartbreaking um but the the story i wanted to again Tell a story that's about um, the player, not the not the man who died. That I want to tell the, the real story about Duncan Edwards. Yes, it's he's going to carry that tragedy. You can't avoid it. But he, possibly more than any player in history, because of the legend around him, there's been more hyperbole and um, grandiose compliments given to Duncan Edwards. Um, the thing that I wanted and the thing that the family wanted was to portray him realistically. This was who he was. Um, and there are some flaws in there that people will find hilarious. It's just the real Duncan Edwards, basically, that I wanted to get across. And there's a lot more the, the advent of sort of technology and people coming forward with different stories. There's, there's some more information that's come to light in recent years. There's all the information from Duncan's uh, schoolboy days as a football as a young footballer there because the um the museum and the Duncan Edwards Foundation who have massively supporting this book have got everything that you could ever wish to know on Duncan. So they've provided all this basically treasure trove of information that people would have never known about Duncan because it, you know it was all locally based. They would have had no reason to have ever found it out. But now it's going to be all here in in this book and. You know, it's it's one of those that, like the George Best book and like the the um, biography of Jimmy Murphy, there's such 
powerful figures in Manchester United history that it's in that echelon of books that are the greatest honour. You know, none, none can be greater than the other because they're so they're all of equal standing. Um, that I'm just so so privileged that the family have sort of chosen me basically to to do this. Um, the, one of the greatest honours I'll ever have, and it's been so emotional working on that book that um, I just hope that when it's out there that people and that you know that it's done Duncan justice. And I hope your brother-in-law is listening. Maybe he'll fold <laughs> after that one. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, the Sunshine Kids is out now. I could talk to you all week, um, but I must let you go and prep for Sammy McElroy. What are you going to deal with today? What era of career? Um, we are actually dealing with his exit from United, so it's not going to be very fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the library! Just like the library!